KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. There are a lot of factors at work out there these days that could make you think twice about becoming a teacher. Pay, politicization, the pandemic. And guess what? The numbers bear that out. If we don't take precautions now, we will continue to see this massive gaping hole in recruitment. But finding people who want to teach is only one part of the problem. Latanya Patillo is the Director of Policy and Advocacy at the nonprofit group NWEA, which supports students and educators. She says schools are now also having a hard time keeping teachers. Our system needs to change, not only how we think about the profession, but what do we need to do to ensure that if you enter this profession, you are best equipped to lead our classrooms. I'm Matt Leon, and today on KYW News Radio in depth, recruiting and retaining teachers. I feel like the last few years have been just this constant storm for the teaching profession. Take me back to like 2018, 2019 ish. How much of a problem then was teacher retention? Was it an emergency? Was it something that had to be dealt with, but was within the normal parameters or was it not really an issue? It was an issue, Matt. Pre-pandemic, of course, 2018, 2019, what we saw was um, decreased or diminishing enrollment in our educator prep programs, which is where, you know, the primary pipeline feeder for educators. It was becoming an issue and particularly an issue in specific subject areas that we see now, right? So special education, math, specifically science, those areas were tough to recruit and retain teachers. And there are a number of reasons why it was slowly becoming a challenge. Uh, And there were initiatives in states and, and in North Carolina specifically to talk about those pipeline challenges, right? So our higher education programs, our higher education institutions were seeing declines And of course, that translates into what, you know, the pipeline issues for schools and districts. We'll see in our alternative licensure programs, there might have been an increase in recruits for that program. But still, overall, you did not see kind of the entering the number of educators entering into the profession that you saw previously. Taking that and then the last couple of years. There's obviously the pandemic, which turned everything sideways. And then you throw in the politicization of everything with regards to COVID in schools and then politicization of school boards and stuff like that. Where are we now? Is it a five alarm fire when it comes to teacher retention or is it not quite that bad? I've heard varying perspectives on that. Um, and, And I think part of the challenge with coming to kind of this overall conclusion is the data that we collect about and how we collect that data around teacher retention and recruitment, right? I would say as an educator, as a former educator, and as someone who's still connected, of course, to the community, that yes, it is an issue. And we really need to be concerned, not just for the moment that we're in, but for the long-term substantiation or what have you, or sustaining of the the profession. If we don't take precautions now, right, we will continue to see this massive gaping hole in recruitment. And you have to balance it with not just recruitment in the program, but again, the retention of educators in the program. You know, it's one thing to not have people coming into the profession 
and folks might still stay for 20, 30 years, but you also see now that folks are leaving the profession, right? That the veterans are not staying the way they usually stay. And so that is what compounds the challenge. And I I would say as a whole, as as we reflect on what it will take to support our students through recovery, yes, we need to be concerned about the pipeline. You talk about teachers, the veterans not staying. Is it for the most part, you think, financial that teachers just aren't paid enough to to keep up in today's, you know, especially with inflation in today's world? Is it a respect thing? Because we talk about the politicization and I've got friends that are teachers and some of the nonsense they've had to deal with and, uh, you know, being blamed for everything I could understand, even if it's a passion. A lot of people being like, you know what, I'll go be a consultant or, or I'll do something outside of the classroom. And how much of it was just burnout because of a pandemic and and all the hoops you had to jump through? Or are we talking, we could probably find a mix of all of that everywhere, depending on where you go? I think it depends on the segment of the, the teacher population that you're talking about, right? So for our beginning teachers, I think pay is definitely an issue. You know, if, if you have to compete with other industries that use some of the same skills, some of the same energy... If you are not increasing salaries in a way that will allow, you know, new folks entering into the profession to have a livable wage, to have a decent lifestyle, to know where they're living, to have all of the accoutrements that, you know, you should, then yes, you're going to have challenges recruiting folks. I think if you're talking about our veterans, right, these are folks who have been in the profession who have not traditionally and unfortunately seen significant increases in pay, right? That's not to say that they should not receive that, but it means they they have already been in the profession for some time. And the things that matter to them are a little bit different. So long-term benefits, things like longevity, longevity pay, those are the aspects of pay that matter to veterans, right? Also for veterans, the type of working conditions that we see that matters for all of, of, I think, our educators. But the longer you stay and you see how things shift, you see what resources you have, you see what supports that you have, what's being required of you changes. So to your point about all of the new demands that came as a result of the pandemic, that contributes really to why I hear some veterans are leaving, right? Enough is enough. Like the, all of the things that are required that are new and different, that are not the same from 10, 15, five years ago, it's just a lot heavier for some veterans. So I think the reason why we have to get granular with how we collect information about why teachers are staying and are leaving, I think it will lend itself. We will see that it's different, the different levels or the different steps that you were in in your career. And I think it's important when we talk about losing teachers or not having as many teachers come in, it goes kind of beyond just school X would like to have 20 teachers and they only have 17. To the average person, I think that doesn't sound like a big deal. But all of a sudden, a classroom of 14 kids has to become a classroom of 21 kids. And then every kid can't get the attention. And all of a sudden, somebody needs an extra help. Maybe they can't get that. And maybe the school doesn't have the staff to provide somebody to help a child with special needs. So it goes beyond just kind of filling out a roster, doesn't it? There's all kinds of ripple effects here that something like this has on kids. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. To your point, you know, it's all about relationships. And when you increase the numbers in a class or the numbers in the program, you know, the ability to create those relationships with students diminishes. The capacity that an educator has to work with 15 to that changes to 40 is different. You know, so the ripple effects not only impact just that one educator in a classroom, but we have to talk about our instructional assistants, like the additional instructional staff that are in schools too, that support educators. It's one thing to be leading that classroom by yourself. It's another thing to have an instructional assistant with you that could help differentiate, that could help work, work with students who needed a, a, you know, some extra work or a different type of engagement. And so the ripple effect is just beyond losing one or two teachers. What does it mean when you have to consolidate classrooms? What does it mean when you have to, when an educator has to take on additional responsibilities in order, you know, to complete their day of work, right? So teachers who fill additional roles in schools, who might work after school, who might be a coach, who might do these other things, those pieces are missing from a school environment as well. And so there is a huge, huge picture, I think, that we have to take into account. These things don't happen in isolation. We need to take a break. We will have more with Latanya Patillo right after this. This is KYW News Radio in depth. We are back on KYW News Radio in depth, continuing our conversation with Latanya Patillo as we talk about the importance of teacher retention and recruitment. We've talked about the problem and what it's led to. Now let's start the conversation of how to try to address it. If you're putting together a strategy to retain and recruit, is it two separate strategies or is that Venn diagram very similar? I think the Venn diagram is similar. You can't do anything in isolation. If you are thinking about how you will support your educators through their career, they are not separate things. The Venn diagram is ever apparent because you're going to have to meet in the middle. If you are an coming into the profession, you have to think about long-term what it means to be able to provide healthcare and healthcare benefits or to have those benefits over the long-term. And in situations in some districts, in some states, that's not an option, right? That some educators won't have state benefits that they had previously. And so you have to think about how you will keep this new teacher once you bring them in. And that's an issue for all educators. I will tell you it's a specific issue for educators of color. If we talk about diversifying the workforce, how do you provide those supports? How do you retain those educators? What are those specific things that you'll need to keep someone in the classroom after year three, which is a critical time for most educators? And I would say even now after year five, what is three? Is that kind of just when it look at that's kind of the decision time where you see a lot of people bail after year three? And if you can get past that hump and you mentioned year five, if you can keep if they stay that long, good chance they will stay for a long run. Yes. Sometimes they were contractual time frames, but oftentimes your first three years are critical. 
Because when you walk into that classroom, right, you have your theoretical learning, you have your pedagogy, you have all of the things that you learned in your ed prep program, and you may have some experience and should have experience having been in the classroom, but it's nothing like being immersed being the leader of that classroom and having to do your class, implement your classroom management, having to, you know, manage, develop curriculum or engage in the curriculum, having to teach that first three, those first three years are particularly challenging. And if you can make it through, if you have those supports, if you feel like you're sound in your skills and your practice, then usually once you make it that over that hump, you can stay. If the con- conditions are sound, if there are there's a level of stability there, that's usually the sweet spot. Get through that year, that first three years. There are a lot of programs that support beginning educators. If you look at our retention rates, those, that, those are the years where early educators usually say, ah, this was for me, this isn't for me right? Those are when the decisions are made. And so there are programs that support beginning educators, and those are important. Those are critical to to allowing um, educators to teach, to to learn how they are as classroom leaders, leaders in the schoolhouse, and have the supports around curriculum, around classroom management, just navigating what it is to be in education. That's critical. Is there something that institution of higher education that are developing these teachers, does there need to be a little bit of a reimagination there because things have kind of changed a lot in the last several years that they need to maybe look at the programs and how they're developing these teachers and go, you know what, maybe we need not to focus as much on B like we've traditionally done. Now, maybe we need to pivot and really push C, D, and E because that's going to become much more of a of a something they're going. These young teachers are going to have to deal with in in today's society. Absolutely, I think higher education programs have to see what the market is requiring, if you will, if I can use business terms. Right, the market says, the environment says that we need to be thinking about how we use data to determine what students need and how we equip teachers with the skills to analyze data, what how that matters. If we're going to use data to inform instruction, then we need to equip educators in the ability to in their ability to use that data. I can remember being in my program, alternative program. I did not come through an EPP, a traditional program. I came through alternative licensure, which means I had to take my courses here and there in order to get my credential. I didn't learn how to use data traditionally, right? That's going to be important now in order to understand where our students are, what they will need, how we can create an individual plan, and it's going to be challenging, but how we how can we look at formative assessment scores, how students are functioning in their class on the day-to-day, some of their interim assessment scores, all of the data that we can pull together. Students in ed prep programs will have to be equipped to use that and apply that in their classrooms. So that's one piece. Higher ed, I think, has to look at what our students will need. You know, not the ed prep candidates, but what our students in K-12 education will need. Who will need what? As we look at the recovery through the pandemic, our early learners are going to need huge support, 
huge support. So whether or not you are going to be an educator in, you know, K-3 classrooms, being equipped in literacy skills, being able to teach literacy for our candidates who are in early literacy or early learning programs, being able to instruct students in early literacy is going to be critical. And our higher ed programs have to adjust. What classes are they offering? What kind of coursework are they offering to their candidates? to better equip them to enter into the classroom. If you are talking about meeting the needs of diverse students, then higher ed has to think about, okay, our student body is changing. How are we equipping our ed prep candidates to serve all students? You know, I think everyone is going to have to think about or reimagine how they do what they do. Whatever piece of the continuum they have agency over, our districts have to think about hiring practices. Our, you know, higher ed has to think about their coursework. Our state has to think about requirements for licensure. All of those things have to be reimagined going forward. Do you get the feeling as someone who's plugged in that people get it, that it's a different game now than it was? five years ago? Or do you still see a lot of people still hammering the same square peg into a round hole? I think people are getting it. I think it just takes time. We're talking about a cultural shift, rethinking the profession, what it means to to be an educator. One, respecting education as a profession um, is going to be critical. We've lost that respect. What what does it mean to respect you know, the profession educators used to be and should still be a central part of the community because we are in charge of, you know, ensuring the future of our kids. But I think it's going to take some time because I, I think people just remember what it means to rethink it is education. And in an environment where we tend to want quick results or we want to implement something and think it's going to be turnkey and then it's going to solve all of our problems, our system needs to change. Not only how we think about the profession, but what do we need to do to ensure that if you enter this profession, that you are valued, you have the supports that you need, and that you are best equipped, trusted to lead our classrooms and educate our kids. When it comes to rewarding veteran teachers, you talked about the health benefits and the pay. Those are the big things that are incredibly important. Are there secondary, tertiary things we can do to show that respect and and show these teachers that they are appreciated, you know, and, and keep them? We need to listen. If you've been in the, in any profession, there's always something to learn. Educators are lifelong learners. I think it's something to be said for a veteran for someone who has been in a field who is still learning, sustaining, right? Being able to be an effective educator means that you have to continue to learn. There is a lack of respect for that. Being a veteran educator means that you can be a mentor, that you oftentimes are providing supports that that, that you're not compensated for, that are not recognized. If you are doing those sort, providing so those sorts of supports, if you are acting as an additional resource, compensation is always one, but you know, is always an opportunity to to support your veterans, right? You to show your value. 
but then also providing additional leadership opportunities if as a veteran you want to enter into that space. There are a number of ways that veteran educators engage or operate in a schoolhouse. And I think, you know, one, understanding where that teacher wants to be, right? Principals having relationships with their educators, knowing what their educators are interested in, how they want to engage. If they want to be, you know, the leadership of committees, if that soothes their soul, provide those opportunities. Provide the financial compensation if it is above and beyond their day-to-day duties, you know, and a lot of that has changed there, you know, there are some districts and states that provided financial compensation for mentoring. A lot of that has changed. I think bringing that back would be fantastic. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio in depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon. <laughs>